the, when you think of empathy, most people think of, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and feeling what they feel so that you know what that would feel like. Um, the definition he challenged us to was when someone tells you what is true of their experience and oftentimes an experience you never could have had yourself, believe them and act as though you believe them. So um, as a woman going through pregnancy and delivery and all of that, as my husband, he could never really know what that experience is like. But the new definition of empathy challenges him that when I tell him what it's like to believe me and to act as though he believes me. And I think oftentimes what we do is we catch ourselves minimizing other people's experiences to our comfort level. So that we can say, oh, are you sure that's what it is? Is it really happening like that? Is it really because of that? Whereas really the stance we need to just take is just believe people. Well, welcome back to Neighboring Podcast, where we sit down with interesting individuals and organizations and people like Janelle and Aaron Lane today and really have discussions around what does it mean to be a good neighbor and ultimately what makes healthy neighborhoods healthy. And so you guys uh, work for Parkview Health and are in charge of the Community Partner Development Center. And you have been for the last four years. You are both uh, heavily invested and from a particular area in town in Fort Wayne that uh, gets a lot of labels and a lot of um, discussion because it's primarily our lowest income area in town. It has challenges and problems uh, and gets concentrated and probably in a lot of ways that are accurate and honest and a lot of ways that aren't um, and becomes the media attention. So like in any other community in every other city in, for, in Indiana or in the nation, there are pockets in particular areas in our communities that have the reputation that it has of being challenging and difficult. You two are from that area, have grown, grown up there and have returned to work there. And so I'd love to have just a discussion. So welcome on the Neighboring Podcast. Um, would love for you to introduce yourselves and tell us what uh, the center and what type of work. Give us a, a high-level overview of the type of work you're doing. Well, my name is Aaron Lang. Um, this is my wife, Janelle Lang. Um, and as you mentioned, we are born and raised in Southeast Fort Wayne. We're passionate about, um, we love the people in Southeast Fort Wayne. Our family still lives in Fort Wayne. Our kids go to school in Southeast Fort Wayne. Um, so again, we're, we're very, very passionate about that side of town and that community. Um, when we started the center, um, we knew this was something that we were called to do. Um, it was something that God had put on our heart to do to invest back into Southeast Fort Wayne. Um, so, I mean, we got the call, you know, through Parkview um, and wanting to better serve Southeast Fort Wayne, wanting to better invest in the people in Southeast Fort Wayne. Um, and when they started to pull us in on some different things, um, we understood the population so it was easy for us to kind of say you know this is where we're being led and, and this is what we're supposed to be doing yeah so, mm -hmm. so um yeah just to explain a little bit about what, what we do at the center um one of the main things that we do from the center is personal and professional development Aaron's background is in organizational leadership and development, and we have now a couple coordinators that work with us. One has an organizational leadership and development background as well. The other one has a mental health background, which is also um, my background. And so what we do is we pair the personal and professional development um, components together. So we do more holistic training. Um, we work with nonprofit organizations and our work is Parkview's investment back into the community. So the services that we provide for those organizations are at no cost to those organizations. And we really pride ourselves on giving quality services. So we can go in and do um, trainings based off of what the specific organization needs. And then nonprofits that are oftentimes already struggling to you know, make ends meet and keep the lights on and do all the work that they're attempting to do to impact communities positively, don't have to worry about the cost of um, further developing their staff members and make sure that they're pouring into and feeding the leaders within their organizations as well. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the main things we do. You want to talk a little bit more about any of the other components? Yeah, I mean, we, we do that in, in many different facets. I mean, we, we have sessions at our office where individuals can come in and take advantage of the personal and professional development. We also um, go into those organizations. 
um, and provide training and leadership development for the leaders there. Um, a huge portion of how we came to um, identify what's needed in the community is when we first started this work, we literally went out to every organization that we possibly could within Southeast Fort Wayne and met with the leaders um, and their staffs and kind of like, you know, did needs analysis and needs mm -hmm. assessments and asked, what are the things that are going on within your organizations that you're um, getting the community involved in that you see going well? And what are some of the things that you would like to strengthen? Um, and as we collected all that data and information, we then took that back and said, how do we come alongside these organizations um, and help them um, elaborate on the initiatives they already have going on? But then also from Parkview standpoint, what are some of the gaps? What are some of the ways that Parkview can fill some of those gaps or put some initiatives in place um, to address some of the issues that aren't currently being met within Southeast Fort Wayne? Do you have an example you can share? Um, yeah, so there are different population groups that we um, are currently focusing on within um, the work that we do from the standpoint of the millennial population. Okay. Um, as well as um, we were meeting with an executive leader one time and he was just kind of expressing how sometimes for executive leaders it becomes a lonely place. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, re you reach a certain status or get to a certain level um, and you're required to operate in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and not always can you lean on the staff underneath you to understand yeah. things that are going on. So he kind of wanted a, uh, an opportunity to surround himself with other executive leaders that look like him, mm -hmm. um, that understand the issues that he's facing within his organizations, that understand the, the term survival mode, if you will, yeah. for a lot of our organizations. Um, so and we he, created... And he was a minority leader mm -hmm. as well. And he spoke about how leadership can be... Um, a lonely place, especially if you're a minority leader or if you're running an organization that's serving underserved yeah. communities. Yeah. Um, because oftentimes other groups, other leader groups have developed safe spaces where they can lean on each other and yeah. grow with each other and challenge each other. But um, there's a lot of competition for resources yeah. within the Southeast community. And so some of that gets broken down and then relationships and opportunities to collaborate get impacted by it. And so what he was expressing was a need for a safe place to come together with yeah. other leaders where you can be completely transparent because there's no potential funders in the room yeah. where you don't have to put your best foot forward or bring your interview self mm -hmm. where you can just be transparent and yeah. show areas where you're weak and um, really get some support in the ways that you need to be supported. So yeah, statistically is a huge minority, like minority, but even minority leaders and organizations uh, in a community of, the size of Fort Wayne, it's the, there aren't many. I can see that being a, a real. They, they, most most leaders look like me, the white, uh, educated male that's kind of at the the forefront of most of our organizations. So to have a minority leader to have a community, uh, I can imagine is really was is really important. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there weren't many spaces for them to go and be able to release that. Yeah. Um, to have conversations that maybe others wouldn't understand. Um, so they wanted to create a space, um, and we came alongside them and we created a space called the Executive Safe Space mm -hmm. for minority leaders. Um, and they come, they have good dialogue, we have conversations that may not take place in other circles. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an awesome opportunity and way to fill a gap. Another thing that I'll mention is Janelle has put together what she calls a Women of Influence Lunch. Yeah. Um, that happens the third Wednesday of every month and it, it's grown over time and right now we're at about 35, averaging 35 to 40 women of powerful women. Um, from some the are leaders within together. different organizations, some are women who are young and eager and just looking to start getting involved in community. You've got leaders from all different you know, walks of life. You've got, it's ethnically very diverse, age-wise, generationally, it's very diverse. Yeah. Um, and you just never know in those meetings who's going to be present. We don't get the same women every month, um, but we get a lot of women who return. So it's a different rotation of women, but um, it's they're always extremely engaged, open, transparent. We honor a woman who's doing wonderful things mm -hmm. in the community, oftentimes who's like those unsung sheroes who might be doing things under the radar, but really making yeah. an impact. We have an organization share and present about the work that they're doing and how they're impacting the community. Um, but then we also um, have a portion called What I'm Learning, where a woman just shares what this season of life is currently teaching her, whether that be family life, career, spiritual life, whatever. It's a, an awesome time. And I mean, 
things happen there that I can't even put into words. I I would love to take credit for it, but honestly, there are times where the spirit just shows up. I mean, they weren't intended to be spiritual meetings, but it just happens oftentimes. And um, powerful things have taken place within that whole gathering of women. That's great. You both work for a rather large regional healthcare provider in our area. What, um, is it rare to see a hospital and healthcare company like Parkview invest in the type of work you're doing? I, I think of, and I think most people would think of hospital, um, hospitals and, and health companies like that as being primarily in the business of being reactionary. Um, running facilities where you're constantly just dealing with crises and pushing back and sure you want people to change their behavior and lifestyles and those things but it takes a lot of energy. I look at what you all are doing and some of the other things as being more proactive and preventative and more community health related. Is that uncommon or uh, why does Parkview do that for you guys? (laughs) So I mean um, I don't think that it's um, uncommon. I think maybe it, it has been uncommon, but I think it will become a new trend. Um, I think in communities across the U.S., as you continue to look at social determinants of health and how many things impact health that don't seem health-related, you'll see more out-of-the-box preventative or proactive types of initiatives yeah. starts starting to pop up. Um, I just I think Parkview's always been innovative and willing to, you know, do new things to meet the needs of patients that we serve. And, um, you know, it makes sense for Parkview to be proactive. It makes sense for us to do community health. It makes sense for us to put things in place on the front end to decrease the number of patients that we have to see on the back end. Um, So, I mean, that's one thing that I love about our organization is that you know we're willing to do out of the box things and impact mm-hmm. community we're about community yeah. so as two people that that grew up in the southeast side of Fort Wayne um, went to college went to university moved away uh, did other jobs other professions and then had this calling to go back describe first I'd love for you guys to describe the southeast side of Fort Wayne in, in both the way you would and maybe a technical, professional kind of way, like very objective, but mm-hmm. as two residents and two people that care deeply, describe describe the Southeast Side. It, the terms that I would use to describe Southeast Fort Wayne is it's home, it's community, it's culture, uh, it's family. Um, it's people who understand each other. Um, if nobody else within Fort Wayne understands Southeast Fort Wayne, the people within Southeast Fort Wayne understand and know. Like an unspoken yeah, culture. What it, what it feels like to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why a lot of people, although in, in many areas, um, in impoverished areas, if you will, a lot of people have the desire to um, make it to a point where they can get out. Yeah. But what you have in Southeast Fort Wayne is a lot of people, as hard as it is, they want to stay. Yeah. Um, and that's something that's, um, for us has been on our hearts a lot because there were some times that I mean, we've had to technically move outside of Southeast Fort Wayne in order we were looking to build a home and do some different things um, from a home ownership standpoint um, which required us because we couldn't find builders to build within Southeast yeah. where we had to move right on the outside of Southeast Fort Wayne which was very difficult to do um, just because again it's home, if you will. We spend more time in Southeast Fort Wayne than we do at our own house. Um, so just the, just the culture, just the feel that you get being in community and being able to see a variety of people um, that just get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, from a technical um, explanation, I would just say that it is the... Um, smallest quadrant within the city but it's the most um, condensed and highly populated area Um, it is where there's more concentration of minority groups but a lot of people are surprised to find that about 42 percent of the residents in southeast fort wayne are white Um, that's surprising to a lot of people when we share that Um, 
but there's about 38% of the population that are African American. So that is why I think oftentimes when people think of Southeast, they automatically think of African Americans, um, because whereas you would have um, African Americans make up about 15% of the national population, they make up more than double that in Southeast Fort Wayne. So that's why it feels like it's very concentrated within Southeast. Um, But because of that, I will say, uh, traditionally, African Americans have a more collectivistic culture. And so it's really about the, the whole and community and the group. Um, and so you feel a lot of that. There is definitely a sense of connectedness and community within Southeast. When yeah. something impacts one person in Southeast, it feels like it impacts everyone. Yeah. Um, one shooting, one loss of life impacts so many people yeah. that the community grieves, you know, really the community grieves. And, you know, I've noticed that there's, it's a little easier for other areas to feel disconnected from things that happen there. But it impacts everybody within Southeast. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we do a ton of projects in Neighborlink in in the Southeast Quadrant, socioeconomically. It just that's that. There's a lot of people that have that live there, have chosen to live there, raised their families, worked, own their own home, and are choosing to age in place. One, because it's practically hard when you're living on Social Security disability, or you in that. It's just almost nearly impossible to transition in life even if you wanted to but most people you want to be there you want to be part of the community and so we get to know and get to meet a lot of neighbors that have been there for a long time and one of my favorite things to do is when I'm out on projects is just interact like what how long have you lived here or um, tell me about your block or your neighborhood or and to get those you know, stories that, that really match up in, in essence to what, what you're describing there. And it really was one of the things that really prompted, so we've been doing this research project on what does it mean to, what, is, what makes a healthy neighborhood healthy? Mm-hmm. So we've been researching five Fort Wayne neighborhoods and we included a neighborhood in 46806 on the southeast side as a way because it was, we spent so much time and I think the narrative in the general narrative that is published and communicated about the southeast side says that it's broke like it's right. all broke mm-hmm. and the stories that we were learning from spending time in the community is like it's not broke yes mm-hmm. there's problems and there's challenges and people are struggling but people struggle in every neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, but what there was is there's this fabric of connectedness and community relationship that yeah, maybe they don't make as much or they're living on 800 to $1,200 a month, but that doesn't, they, they don't look at that as necessarily a bad thing. It's just my roof is leaking and I need to get that fixed and I just don't have the cash to do it or the resources to do it. It would be great if somebody could help. And that happens in all neighborhoods. So it was a really important part um, to align with what you're saying. I'm curious, Aaron, you, you kind of mentioned it in your comment there, but what... One of the things in community development and specifically the kind of Christian community development and what is happening as as those that are born in these communities and get education and move on and and move up towards upper mobility, the desire for any of us, and I think this relates, but it's primarily a a topic I'm curious for you to discuss on, is that we, we move out. We get educated, we get our job, and then we we move towards resources because that's where we're going in the trajectory of life. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I find really interesting and call more people to, or would like to call more people to, is recognizing that power and privilege and looking at the opportunities to relocate back or to Mm -hmm. come back and bring your leadership and your education experience and your love for home back. Describe that experience from your perspective. That's on my outside perspective what I'm learning. My wife and I, we moved towards a lower income neighborhood, but we didn't move all the way to 46806. Mm-hmm. Curious what that experience has been like for you. you. You acknowledge like we were trying to build a house and it, that's complicated. Like we want to move back and we want to do it, but we logistically can't. I'm curious what other experiences are like for you. I think the ultimate goal is access. Access to healthcare, access to um, full service grocery stores, access to Um, shopping, all those things, schools, um, all those things are what people desire and what people need to survive ultimately. Um, So 
naturally, the closer that you can be to those things to make sure that you're providing and have all the things that your family needs is, is what the goal is. And unfortunately for the people in Southeast Fort Wayne, in order to have access to those types of things, you have to move outside of the community that you love most, um, which is very unfortunate, um, which is why we, we talk a lot about economic development yeah. um, and being able to provide access. So a lot of times people are in situations where they may not desire to move, but in their best interest, in the best interest of their family, their yeah. kids, it's what's necessary. Um, as well as, as I mentioned, you know, we were desiring to build a home. Um, and there's not a lot of um, developers and builders that were willing to build in Southeast Fort Wayne because of value and yeah. things of that nature. And, um, and which what, who, who has enough cash to just like build a house for right. cash, right? And, and there are some nice homes being built in Southeast yeah. Fort Wayne, but those are also um, individuals who own the land and, and build on their own land yeah. and a lot of different structural things that go into that process um, of being able to do that within Southeast. But I'll also say from a system standpoint and programming standpoint, a lot of the programs for first time home buyers and things of that nature are not set up for people to stay in Southeast. If you want, if you're a first time home buyer and you want access to certain um, loans or opportunities, they're, they're requiring that you move out to the outskirts of the city, to Huntertown, yeah. um, to far out west mm -hmm. in, in different things yeah. of that nature. Mitigate, mitigate risk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those are the type of situations that we're looking at. Or the option is stay in the conditions of living in Southeast Fort Wayne, which again, many people are choosing to do because it's home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. What is the, you, you touch on a lot of economic or opportunities. So yes, we, we need to, we act in our own best interests. You know, it's human nature to do that and want to provide and, and have the best life that we, we, can, we can have. Uh, but choosing to move back requires some sacrifice um, if you want to be the early adopters. Well, is that felt by your peer group, like people that you guys went to high school with or like young families of your kind of, socioeconomic background that came from 46806 as well? Like if there were more opportunities, there would be a higher interest to move back? Uh, to be honest, I think that um, there are some people who live in Southeast still who view it that way, who sometimes feel like people get educated and get these opportunities and they move away and they just forget. Yeah. My experience has been the people who I know in the community who called Southeast Fort Wayne home at some point in their yeah. life, even when they get educated and they get other opportunities, they move away, but they're still fighting for Southeast from wherever they are. Yeah. Um, and I think that what happens is sometimes it's, I mean, from a spiritual perspective, sometimes God just positions you in different places. Yeah. Um, you can yeah. fight the battle from different locations mm -hmm. and sometimes venturing into other areas gives you better um, you know, an advantage as far as positioning where you're fighting the same battle, but you're just positioned somewhere else. And yeah. our fight yeah. doesn't always look the same, but most people who have called it home still fight for it. And I it's think, always yeah, home. I think what it, what it does for a lot of people when you get an opportunity to move outside of um, Southeast Fort Wayne and even relocate to different cities or different places and then come back, it, it gives you vision. It allows you to see what the opportunities and what Southeast Fort Wayne has the potential mm -hmm. to be That's and could word. be. Um, as well as, I think sometimes when you're in Southeast Fort Wayne and you're in it so much um, that it starts to become conditioned and blind you to the possibilities. Or even for us, um, serving Southeast Fort Wayne, just being outside of it, but our family still being in it, it allows us to see things from a, a different lens and a greater picture to where now we're better able to serve Southeast Fort Wayne because we're not fully like embedded in it to the point where um, it's hard for us to see the issues and the problems yeah. we see them clearly. sometimes you can be so close up yeah. on something you don't see it clearly yeah. and you know I feel like even when like living in Southeast Fort Wayne you can't help but see it you feel it every day yeah. but sometimes state taking a step back I have now a better perspective of how it fits into other things mm -hmm. and what needs to happen here to make something happen here. Yeah. You know, I'm just learning things outside of it to help navigate how to best serve Southeast. Um, and, and I mean, my goal, I would love to live Southeast Fort Wayne. I, I still hope to move back. 
Um, and we're like literally right on the outskirts sure. of it. So it really doesn't even, I don't even feel right saying we don't live there. I don't mm-hmm. even feel right. Like our address is technically Roanoke, but we're like right at the 69 exit. It takes us 10 minutes to, to get to our family members' houses. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was frustrating that we wanted to build in Southeast and we could not find a builder who was willing to do it. And mm-hmm. I think for me, that was a different level of realization than I had faced prior. And I think... Um, I'm interested in seeing what needs to happen to shift perspective from Southeast Fort Wayne being like its own little island to it being viewed as part of Fort Wayne to where when we think of Fort Wayne as a city, we don't say in that place over there. It is a part of the rest of the community and it is everybody's responsibility to build Southeast Fort Wayne up because from an economic development standpoint, Many of us can think back to times where there were shops and stores and things that brought people into Southeast. But now it's in a state in a position where if you don't live in Southeast Fort Wayne, you don't come. There's nothing in Southeast that would draw you there or that you have to come to get. Whereas people who live in Southeast have to drive north or west multiple times a day, every day to get access to food, to health care, to education, to anything all of the necessities for life, you have to venture outside of Southeast to get it when that's not the experience in other places. Uh, and for me, that that is a place where we as a community, as a whole community, have to look at that. Like we're only as healthy as our most underserved area. Mm. That's important. So as you've been working and listening for the last four years, what are some what are some kind of high level ideas or maybe small level tangible ideas that help us move towards that towards towards embracing the southeast as part of fort wayne like um curious what you guys would say i I would say it starts with having the conversations talking about the tough things sitting around the table and having the conversations on things such as um, spiritual unity racial reconciliation um, economic development, access to healthcare, having those conversations and doing it in a way where um, pride is put aside, um, judgment is put aside, and it's a table full of grace where people can sit down and really have tough dialogue and conversations about the real issues that are happening in Fort Wayne as a whole. How do we do that, Aaron? I'm really interested in that. Like. Uh, I, I want I, I am in agreement with how do we how do we practically begin having some of those conversations as people that want to have conversations um, so we've been having a lot of conversations yeah. around racial reconciliation mm-hmm. and spiritual unity and things like that recently um, two of us as individuals um, we're actually in a race dialogue at our church we go to Pine Hill City Church um, and Eric Headley um, and their new church is called Headwaters. Headwaters. Um, they're leading the dialogue for us. Um, and he recently introduced us to a new definition. He challenged our definition of empathy. Um, the, the, when you think of empathy, most people think of, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and feeling what they feel so that you know what that would feel like. Um, the definition he challenged us to was when someone tells you what is true of their experience and oftentimes an experience you never could have had yourself, believe them and act as though you believe them. Mm -hmm. So um, as a woman going through pregnancy and delivery and all of that, as my husband, he could never really know what that experience is like. But the new definition of empathy challenges him that when I tell him what it's like to believe me, and to act as though he believes me. And I think oftentimes what we do is we catch ourselves minimizing other people's experiences mm-hmm. to our comfort level so that we can say, oh, are you sure that's what it is? Is it really happening like yeah. that? Is it yeah. really because of that? Whereas really the stance we need to just take is just believe people. When they tell you what the experience is really like and when they tell you why, trust that they know enough to know what is really happening and why and then act accordingly. So a lot of the planning for development and things that are taking place throughout the city is it starting with really hearing people and believing them about their experiences and when they tell you what they need. Are they telling you what is needed or do you have ideas about what is needed and a thought that they don't really know what's needed? And, and That's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to hear that. And Thank I'll you. piggyback on that just a little bit um, because you made a profound statement there starting with the people. 
Um, and I think it's the right people because it's the, it has to be the people that are in the community who are living it, who are fighting it day in and day out. Um, are we those people? Yes, we're a representation of those people yeah. because we've lived it, we understand it, we know it, but we're somewhat also on the outside as well. So how do we get more people who are in it on a literally a day-to-day -day basis who, um, who have their own stories, who have their own testimonies and, and ideas and ways to solve problems? That's where the issues need to start, um, is we need to start having more conversations that, that truly start with the people because you can't solve a need for someone that you don't know about. Yeah. And traditionally, I will say a lot of the way things have been done in the past that hasn't really worked well for us as a community um, has been we get this idea about what's needed and we implement some program or some initiative and we put it out there and then it's not utilized like we hope or it's not well attended. Yeah. And we say, well, why? Why aren't people coming? They're saying they need these things, but we haven't taken into account the lack of margin in their day. The fact that from the time they wake up in the morning to the time their feet, you know, they lift their feet up in the bed at night, they're running trying to just get things done, running from one side of town to the other, possibly taking a bus to multiple stops to drop kids off in different places. Yeah. And we're asking questions like, why aren't they utilizing this program? Do they really want change? Do they just, are they comfortable in poverty? You know, and we've heard all those questions. And, and no, nobody's comfortable in poverty. You learn how to survive. You learn how to make it. You're gonna make it no matter what. Yeah. You get that, that tenacity. Um, but nobody wants that life. Nobody wants it for their kids. We all want to give our kids better than we've had every human, yeah. Yeah. you know? And so I think we have to start with the right questions and the questions being asked to the right people, what is needed and what's the best way to go about that. And it has to start with the people telling you what they need. The, the reality is, so I have an opportunity to sit on the United Way of Allen County um, Community Impact Committee. Mm -hmm. And we focus on a population, um, serving a population called Alice, yeah. which is the asset limited income constrained employed. Um, and in Southeast Fort Wayne, there are 80% of people who fall under what, what Alice would call the livable um, the livable wage of a family of four, which is $55,000. So 80% of people of a family of four make less than $55,000. Of that 80%, 60% of those individuals make below the $30,000, which is the federal poverty line. Yeah. So 60% of people in Southeast are below $30,000, yeah. um, which is the federal poverty line. So that 20% from the 60 to 80, that 20% um, is what they consider the working poor and that's our target audience. Um, reason being is because those individuals who are in that 20% that make in between the 30,000 and the 55,000 are at great risk because they don't qualify for government assistance, housing, education vouchers, childcare vouchers, and things of that nature. So they are literally struggling every day to make it. So when we say people, a lot of times individuals within Southeast get, it's a people problem. They're dependent on the system. They rely on government assistance. Yeah. That's not the case yeah. because if I'm someone who makes um, below the federal poverty line at $30,000 and I qualify for those things and my family's comfortable and I'm still in survival mode a little bit, but I have an opportunity on a job to get an increase to, of a dollar more or $2 more that's gonna put me in that 20%. Yeah. I'm not going to take it because it's going to knock me off of yeah. all of my government yeah. assistance or, or um, my cushion a little bit, yeah. if you will, to put me in a place where now I'm struggling yeah. to survive. Well, and, and to that point, um, for us as a family, because we don't qualify for assistance, if we want to put our daughter in child care yeah. right now, it will cost us over a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, as well. $1,069 to the T yeah. is what it would cost us to put our two year old in yeah. child care. My sister got an associate's degree for $800 a month, and we're gonna pay $1,000 a month for daycare. I, I'm like, fine, as long as she has an associate's degree when she leaves. Like, that's, like you plan for college, yeah. but you don't plan for childcare. Yeah, it's wild. It's, it is crazy. So, but another point though, I wanna make sure that we also dispel some of the myths. 
although you know 80% fall below that $55,000 a year, that's 20% in there that's above that federal poverty line. They don't qualify for any assistance. They're working yeah. and they have a salary. It's just the expenses don't, they're too costly. The expenses yeah. are at that salary. But there's another 20% of people who are above that salary wise. Yeah. So 20% of the people in Southeast probably could move elsewhere if they wanted to, mm -hmm. but they choose not to. And they have income and they, and honestly, the Southeast community is the largest um, consumer market that there is. We're traveling to other places to consume yeah. right now, yeah. but there needs to be things in our community that are placed there to help us survive, to help with some of these barriers yeah. and challenges. Uh, I really love this conversation. Uh, it's, it's so nuanced and complicated and there's so many different things going on, but the essence of like, we choose to be where we want to be and that's an important aspect that needs to be be addressed like home and community and that is built through the fabric but there are big challenges uh facing us every day i mean i the daycare thing my wife and i for a long time we have three kids and twins and so two kids in daycare and trying to figure figure those things out <laughs> When yeah. one of our paycheck is just basically covering yeah. health care <laughs> yes. and child care. Somebody yes. might have to be staying home. Then do parent. you just stay home, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is even for, for us and making two incomes and having mm -hmm. master's degrees and, mm -hmm. and not living extravagantly. Like, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And so when you factor that in, we always just are so aware of, like, what is it like to be a single parent with two kids yeah. and trying to work full time? Yeah. Trying to make a job and cover daycare costs. Yes. And then navigate life circumstances yes. when it's like kids are sick and you got all this. And it's just, yeah. So it's, really complicated. It's, it's really easy for some people who've never had the experience to, you know, not really take into account what it would be like day in and day out to navigate barriers. Yeah. Um, but for us, we're resourced. Like we've got yeah. master's degrees. We've got two salaries. We've got a decent home. We've got, you know, cars, two vehicles. We've got, we've got a supportive family. We have all these resources. Mm -hmm. And every day I'm still impacted by the barriers in Southeast Fort Wayne, every single day. So I work full time, I get off of work. By the time we get home from work, we have to get kids from different places yeah. because daycare is expensive. So we pick our son up from school, we pick our daughter up from my dad's who watches her during the day. Um, by the time we get done doing that, it's 6.30, almost seven o'clock. Then we've got to figure out dinner. <laughs> we're now Southeast Fort Wayne because we're picking up my daughter from my dad's. Mm -hmm. We've got to figure out dinner. Where do we eat? So we're either going to drive 20, 30 minutes to a grocery store or 20, 30 minutes to a restaurant. If we drive to a restaurant, we sit down and eat dinner. We're done two hours later. We're getting home at nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. If we drive to a grocery store, I'm getting groceries and getting home at eight o'clock and still having to cook and then get them to bed. No matter what, our kids are going to bed later than most people put their kids to bed. They're then waking up tired, irritable, cranky, gonna go to school and have what types of issues? Yeah. Behavioral issues. It is not hard to see how yeah. these things play out. And I think it's easy to look at those people over there as something that's so different from ourselves. But anybody in certain circumstances would respond accordingly. And I think that's what we have to do is start humanizing people and realizing that if we were in those conditions, yeah. we would respond accordingly. Yeah. You do what you have to do to survive. So if someone told me to come to a meeting or take advantage of this program, when, how, yeah, where, sure. you know, so it's just perspective. Yeah. And being present informs that. Yeah. And one of the things that we get the benefit of NeighborLink is you know, we're redistributing resources. You know, we're the connecting organization between really primarily resource individuals and under-resourced pe people with a transactional need, whether we're building a wheelchair ramp or mowing some grass. But it, it, it's moving people typically resourced towards people under-resourced in that particular circumstance, not overall, but in that circumstance. And this leads into the next question. Janelle, you were talking about just the mental uh, health component and that's I know that's a, a, a passion of your own mm -hmm. and professional background and it relates to what we see at NeighborLink is because when you at least in our situation and when you are 70 80 years old or you just physically you you're able to take care of most of things on your limited income 
but you look outside and the grass is growing and it just gets a little bit taller. And you know that if you don't get your grass mowed, somebody's going to come by and put a stake in your yard. And you just physically know that you can't get out and do anything about it. And if you've been isolated and independent and, and kind of marginalized in a way for six weeks or longer, eight weeks, two years, and your social network has fallen apart because you can't, you can't participate in it in the same way you used to, that weight of that sits on people. And I, see, I think the most help that we end up providing is just the relational connection when we show up. And yes, we took care of that need and that lifted a certain burden, mm-hmm. but just the social connectiveness aspect between a volunteer and that homeowner. When you multiply that by our circumstances and all those circumstances that you describe, talk about the mental health aspect of how this plays into the fabric of the mm-hmm. neighborhood. So um, I would say as a whole, outside of just this community, um, we are all in a mental health crisis. Um, Everybody's brain is so overstimulated because of the amount of information that we're all taking in all day. We are not, you know, watching the news in the morning, then you're listening to the radio on your way to work or a podcast. When you're not listening to a podcast, you're in a meeting or some training where you're getting development, you're taking in information there. We're not doing that. You might be, you know, at some event where you're learning about their mission or their cause, or you might be working with the staff and you're learning something new or taking something in. Um, And then, you know, you're on your smartphone, any downtime that you get and you get home and you're taking in how your family's day was and then you're taking in TV or the news. Like our brains literally have no time to process all of what we're taking in. And so it produces this lag time or, you know, this stress hormone that we're all now experiencing more of. So this is why you're seeing more you know, higher suicide rates, higher levels of anxiety, um, just more worry as a whole. And people are rushing from one thing to the next. So this is something everybody's experiencing. Um, We do a training on working with uh, vulnerable populations. And one of the slides that we open with is about stress. Um, And so we show typical stressors and we have people rank them in order about of most stressful, the top three most stressful. And it's interesting dialogue. But then we pull in another slide where it pulls in typical stressors when you live in impoverished areas on top of the regular stressors. And people are like having a really hard time prioritizing and linking which ones would be most stressful. So then we kind of shift it and say, go through this list and check any of these experiences that you have had. And what we find is people that live in other areas of town or come from more affluent areas of town, they've had the typical stressors, but a lot of that other list they don't experience. Whereas when we do it with groups inside of Southeast, they're checking the whole list. And so the amount of toxic stress that people are living with it's that's what is really challenging to navigate so cortisol is a hormone the stress hormone that puts you in that fight or flight response and it's really helpful when you're in the woods and you see a bear and you need to run it's not as helpful when you're sitting on your couch at home by yourself and it just won't shut off Um, and so we've got a lot of people that have had cortisol pumping through their body so often that it's become the norm and and you know just always feeling stressed or anxious or worried um because you're navigating so many barriers or challenges or things that that's not how we're designed to live our life. We're designed to use that when it's necessary to get us out of an emergency or a crisis. But when your life is a crisis, when there's emergency or crisis after crisis, yeah. um, I think people deserve healing. People deserve to know what it feels like to not worry, to just be able to be, to experience joy, to experience peace. Um, there's no group of people that don't deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you both um, express that faith is such a component of your work and your own individual lives. I would love for you to kind of just share, like, because this is hard and it's heavy stuff. And the further, at least the further I de- dive into it, the less equipped and the less, uh, it just seems overwhelming and daunting. And I know for at least for me, the faith or knowing that there's, believing that there's a bigger supernatural power at work in this and it needs to be in order to see progress. What is that experience? How does faith kind of interact and in, in work in your lives and through your work? Well, I, just based on your comment, I think you're in a good place because one thing that I found is that um, God usually doesn't um, call the equipped, he equips the called. So for me, um, 
I've always felt called, but I've always felt like it was something that I needed to, to do or I had to work for or I had to prove. Um, and God has always been saying, I've already given you everything that you need in order to answer the call. Um, so for me, it's been this journey of getting outside of myself and, allowing, and surrendering to God and allowing him to work through me. Um, and once I got to that point, which was fairly recently with over the last couple, couple of few years now, um, where I, I've been rebaptized, I've been um, just in, in full surrenderance to God and allowing him to direct and control my life. That ultimate saying of just let God take the wheel um, is kind of where I've been. And the things that he's been able to um, utilize me for um, and the positions and relationships that I've been able to build are things that I, I couldn't have done on my own. Um, and now that I've kind of gotten out of my own way um, and, and trying to control and, um, and work my way to God's approval, um, I feel like he's fully using me mm. in my purpose. So um, faith is a huge part. Um, of this journey that I'm on um, and that we're on. Um, so I think that it, all the work that we do is, is fully embedded in that because we have a servant mindset, a servant heart, um, and community and kingdom focused. Everything that, we're do, that we do is about the people. When we sit at tables like this and we have these conversations, it's not about us. Yeah. It's about the people. Um, it's about our, our true genuine care for something outside and, and much bigger than ourselves. Um, so that's my take on it. Well, and, and I would say that um, it is easy when you're dealing with heavy things to lose hope or lose faith. I think um, some of what we see um, in, as by way of crime rates, by way of, um, you know, some of the unemployment rates, I think some people are struggling with lack of hope or lack of faith because it's been this way for so long. And so many people have tried to change it. Um, and they haven't seen the results that they would like to see. So it's easy to just start to believe that this is just what it is. Um, and so I think what in continues to encourage me and inspire hope is when you see hope reignited in other people. So when their organization that they put in place to meet a need in the community starts to thrive, and they didn't expect that it really would. And now they're meeting needs and changing lives. And we get to hear so many stories of just change and transformation. And we're, we get to see all the momentum from a, a systemic um, perspective where we can see some of the different conversations that are taking place behind the scenes. We can see churches starting to unite. We can see uh, organizations starting to collaborate and put pride to the side. We can see the momentum building in our city for real sustainable change. Um, we also see some of the challenges and barriers. We see the, the spiritual components that are working against, yeah. you know, the, the positive components. So just as people are spiritually aligning and God is working and moving things, the enemy is equally, you yeah. know, using egos and different, you know, um, everybody's got ulterior motives and, and things like that. But ultimately God, God has it and he will prevail and he'll win. Um, so, for me, I think that it's just so, it's such a blessing to be able to do work that's connected to passion and purpose on a daily basis yeah. to the point where it doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. It's also a blessing to be able to see things from kind of a more removed perspective where we get to see all the different moving parts in different sectors. Like we really have an advantage because we've got, we've got perspective into the hood where we've got relationship and we can go and we can be completely comfortable because it's home. We have like literally we go into environments that other people deem dangerous or scary or whatever, but it's home. We're comfortable. It's who we are. Yeah. And we can sit at a boardroom conversation or a corporate table. And that's now home. We know that we deserve and we belong in both places. And that's a process to get from coming from these places and feeling like you belong yeah. at the table. But we do spiritually there that seat at the table is necessary. And so I think it's been a process of coming to terms with that. Um, I'm learning what it means to fill your cup to the point where people are blessed by your overflow. This is new to me. As we all work to transition from, you know, a works mentality, yeah. I'm now working on trusting God and just 
spending time in intimacy with him. I just read something last night that said, my rest is worship. Mm. And so I am literally trying to learn what that means to be so focused intimately on my relationship with him that I'm blessed. And when I'm blessed, I bless other people from my overflow instead of from exhaustion or, you know, my my effort or my ability so just emptying ourselves out and continuing to fill ourselves with him so that when we're doing the work it's him it's not us and so you ultimately hope people want more of him not more of you Mm -hmm. that's great thank you for that so we move to close try to answer or try to end with the question what does it mean to be a good neighbor for me when I, when I think of what it means to be a good neighbor, I would say um, building genuine, authentic relationship. Getting to know people for who they are as people. Um, not because they look different than you, not for the color of their skin. You want to learn all those things about people and understand and believe those things about people, but that takes intentionality. So I think being a good neighbor is, is literally treating and coming alongside individuals who don't have the same, who don't have commonalities with you. I think just being with people instead of focusing on doing. Um, I think doing is important, but I think you learn the right things to do from just being with people. And I think if you come in with a motive or um, an expectation that there's something there for you to do, you'll miss it oftentimes, but I think just being with people, you really learn what is needed. And so I think we've got to take a slower approach and just learn how to just be with people. And if any work rises to the top of the surface from that, then we take action there as needed. But I think the intention has to be to just be. You know, if I can elaborate on, on that thought just a little bit, I love that because it requires you to when you're just being with someone to learn all of who they are. Um, and it's not about, and, and I almost only want to use the, the phrase of learn who they are. Um, it's genuinely just getting to know someone because we were with someone um, not too long ago and they said sometimes minorities can feel like as though they're um, being studied and that they're almost like, people are like studying exotic animals, right? They're trying to figure out what makes them tick? What makes them do this? Why do they like this? Why do they like that? And we're people. Um, everybody just wants to be understood. Everybody just wants to be appreciated for what they, what God has blessed them with and who God has equipped them to be. So for me, being a good neighbor is fully grasping all of that. Yeah. So. Well, Janelle, Aaron, thank you for being and being with us today on this episode of Neighboring. Appreciate your guys' work and thank you uh, for being with us. Yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, it's good to get to know you guys a little bit better through this podcast. You know, keep up the good work. I'm glad we're collaborators and towards the same kind of vision and goal for our communities and attempting to try to be good neighbors together yeah. as we navigate that. So, thanks for uh, tuning into this episode of Neighboring Podcast with Aaron and Janelle Lane of Parkview Health. Um, We will be back next week with another episode of Neighboring. Thanks. Thank Thank you.